everybody. It is I, Isabella Robinson, and I am here today with another episode of Motion Picture Matchmaker. This is episode four, um, and we're going to be talking about two movies today that I'm really excited about. Um, and we also have a returning guest. So, Lorenzo, please say hello. Who is that man you hear in your ear? That's right. It's me, Lorenzo Accolini, yet again. Oh, the full name. I love it. I also gave my full name, and I don't know why I did that. Cause, like, well, you gave your full name on the description of the podcast. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's very true. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's the penultimate week until spring break. Yes. Penultimate means second to last. Yes. If you don't know already, I'm an English major. And All makes sense. Yeah, it's just, it's been a stressful time. Oh. Yeah. But you know what isn't stressful? Talking about some good movies. Well, are we talking about good movies? <laughs> <laughs> Listen more and find out. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, I, I mean, we'll get into it. I don't, I, I don't know if both movies are good. Um, we're certainly talking about some movies. Um, I'm trying to think of, of any last things, you know, this, it's been, it's February, so it's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. What have you done, Lorenzo, for Black History? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but I'm not joking. Everybody, go, like, watch a movie about black people. It can't be that hard. Um, like, go do that. One second. Let me get up Oh, my you, Oh, you really have something? Down. I have a, <laughs> something kind of related. Oh, um, that's funny. I was joking. I went to a Writers at Drew event. Um, oh, cool. And saw Tiffany Yannicke. If I'm mispronouncing your last name, I'm very sorry. Oh. But no, I just went there. She's a black author. And oh, cool. she just talked about some of her work. I bought one of her books because okay. I'm doing a capstone, listeners, and... For that capstone, I'm doing everything that kind of I'm super interested in, like transgressive fiction and whatnot. So when she's talking about, yeah, you really want to kind of expand your interest and read about, like, different people and everything, I was like, hmm, this is really resonating with me because I'm, like, doing something that's so, like, Mm -hmm. me, me me-centered and me-focused. Oh, well, that's actually really cool. I didn't know if you'd actually have a response to that. I tried to, like, get you, but I didn't. That sounds like a cool event. Honestly, Drew brings some really great like really interesting speakers there was one time a speaker who came who wrote this book that I then bought and read and it was um it's like medical bondage and it was about like the history of gynecology and its ties to black enslaved women really great book everyone should go read medical bondage really interesting it's really funny how you mentioned sex like medical bondage and like kind of sex in medicine because I'm actually I read an article a few nights oh. ago about Crash and Blood Child okay. and how they're very much steeped in like medical history where a lot of the more like transgressive sexual elements of those books stems from stuff like the I'm forgetting what it's called but it's like these models they're called like something Venuses and it was essentially like a model of a woman like the typical like ideal woman like white pre- able to conceive children woman that a lot of aspiring doctors and surgeons would kind of dissect and it was supposed to be sort of oh we're giving the you know this common kind of alluring sensual image of a woman Mm -hmm. to kind of play into all these kind of images and ideals of what a woman should be while also calming like you know aspiring surgeons and doctors so it's really funny that Okay, guys, I don't know if this is, like, too nerdy for you all, but I don't know. This is interesting, and I think we can tie this into the first movie we're going to talk about. Yes. Um. So it's not really all that out there. Trans- Explain to me just very quickly. See, this is getting... You guys can skip this if you don't care. Transgressive, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Transgressive fiction. Transgressive fiction is essentially fiction that deals with characters who actively go against societal norms okay. in very extreme extreme ways um kind of the typical examples of this would be american psycho fight club a lot of kind of like the film bro films Mm, yes those are film bro films but i do want to watch both of those films i've never seen them i've seen american psycho i haven't seen or read fight club even though i'm a huge chuck palnick fan but i am reading what is it i'm reading the sluts by dennis cooper i'm reading tampa by Alyssa nutting uh, Crash by J.G. Ballard, and then, what's the other thing? And then doing Guts by Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> I was like, Guts by Olivia Rodrigo? Great album! <laughs> Great album, but, like, if you mistake the two, you're you're gonna know that you mistake the two. 
and another book that I'm just not remembering right oh. now. So yeah. Okay, so everyone needs to stay tuned for your capstone. It sounds very interesting, and nobody needs to stay tuned for my capstone project because I'm still figuring it out. Um, but let's jump into the first movie. Um, and if you guys have any further questions, maybe Lorenzo would be down to to be asked about your capstone more. I don't know, or maybe you don't want to be asked yes. about it. Uh, we accept fan mail. We okay, have a specific cool. email address. There we is an email. There's also an Instagram, at Motion Picture Match. Please follow on Instagram. So the first movie we're going to talk about, I'm excited to talk about, which is Killers of the Flower Moon. This came out in 2023. And to give a little taste of the plot, I I also want to start, this is a three hour and 26 minute movie. Um, It's worth it. (laughs) It is is very long. Um, So this little one sentence plot thing doesn't really capture over three hours of film. But when oil is discovered in 1920s Oklahoma under Osage Nation land, the Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI steps in to unravel the mystery. I don't really know if that's a strong plot description, but it's a plot description. It's the general (laughs) overarching plot. Yeah, it's like the overarching plot. It it doesn't get down into the really fine, intimate details of, you know, Ernest or Molly's kind of journeys throughout the movie. And so we will. We'll get into it. So this movie is directed by Martin Scorsese. He's this, like, little-known director. I don't know. He's made a couple (laughs) indie films. Yeah, like, not a lot of people know him. I I really think he has a future in this. I Um, I think so, He's quite young. (laughs) <laughs> and this movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, another like not very well known actor who's up and coming. <laughs> Never heard of him. Like, I was gonna say that? he's kind of ugly, but in this film he really is. Ugly. He's truly ugly in this film in a lot of ways. Um, it also stars another not important actor, Robert De Niro. This cast like must have been really cheap, you know. Um, an actress who I think we'll talk a little bit about, Lily Gladstone. Um, and there's like. A lot of different people in this, and so it was hard to, like, take out notable people. But one notable person, um, another white man, Jesse Plemons, who I do like, and he was in this movie. Um, but there are so many other actors in this, so, yeah. Um, and this was written by Eric Roth, Martin Scorsese, and David Gran. Um, David Gran is actually the writer of the book this is adapted from, which is The Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and The Birth of the FBI. Which I actually kind of want to read now, because it's, it's very interesting. So, let's get into it. What are your just general thoughts of the movie? I remember when I saw this movie, and I came back home to my aunt and uncle, mm. and they were having dinner with my aunt's parents, and they were like, Well, Lorenzo, like, where were you? And I said, I just got back from a three-and-a-half-hour-long movie, and I wish there was more of it. Um, this was my four, first Scorsese in theaters. Um, I know this is kind of sacrilege to say because I, if you haven't heard already from my name, I am of Italian descent. Italian. <laughs> but I haven't watched too much from him, and that's not from lack of interest. It's just generally from, like, lack of time. Hmm. And it was so great to just kind of experience this in a theater and particularly because of the audience reactions. And I'm not like Ooh. not like the end game like <laughs> yeah, clapping at every not. cameo or mine. But just more so how you're really seeing the evil of these people mm. become more and more aggressive and so overt overtly like apparent and yet still no one is doing anything about it and just seeing yeah. like the common reaction to the just sort of like, oh my God, these are like super evil people. Yeah, it really is a movie about just awful people. And when you were saying Leonardo DiCaprio is ugly in this film, sure, maybe like phys- physically he's not looking his most fine. Like, but... you gotta cut the man some slack. He is in his 50s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he's also ugly on the inside too, which is far, far worse, I think. So basically, Leonardo plays, and these are all real people. Mm. Well, I don't know if every single character is a real person, but the main characters are, at the very least. So Leonardo plays Ernest Burkhart, and his wife is Lily, is played by Lily Gladstone, who's Molly Burkhart, who is actually of the Osage um, community, and Leonardo is a white man, <laughs> if you didn't know. Um, and... Robert De Niro is this, like, evil mastermind dude, William Hale, who wants to take all over all of the, like, inheritance that this Molly Burkhart's going to get. 
and also just wants to. It's just well, like, not just not just even Molly Burkhardt. Yeah, and yeah, it's everyone, like all, of the, Osage all of the Osage. There's this like, which some of this is history. I just don't fully know or understand. But all of the Osage people have some sort of access to some sort of fund or mm-hmm. money that the, because of their the oil because yeah something to do with the oil and so they're just trying to take all of that money it's greed it's evil and the way they're doing it is through killing <laughs> which is pretty awful and not just killing but the which i think is another overarching theme of not just this movie but the tale of indigenous people in america but just ruining and breaking the spirit and everything stripping them of their autonomy piece by piece until there is nothing left and then you can safely kill them yeah i mean you know many people in this movie die because they are alcoholics and then they are in you know some of the women that die are alcoholics or in abusive relationships or dying at the hands of people they thought they loved. There are people who are severely depressed, and and so people are dying in a variety of ways, but all of it comes back to um, these men. And then, you know, the invention of the FBI is part of this, which is super interesting, um, but not enough is being done because lots of people died. Um, there's just so much to talk about there's this film. A lot. Because it is a three-and-a-half-hour <laughs> yeah. movie. But I think what I want to focus on because you brought it up is the murders and how it was really smart of martin scorsese and i know he has a history of like kind of violence in his movies where he's not really like glorifying it or anything but it just really shows you the way that the murders are framed here are just like especially just awful and heart-wrenching i think the one that sticks out most in my mind is i believe it's anna anna who is molly's sister and when you get to she kind of dies like third midway through the film, but you don't really see her death scene until like the last third where you kind of cut back to it. And it's just so heartbreaking and depressing where, you know, even though she is drunk and she's not like completely aware of the situation, she she's aware that these two men are going to kill her. And she's just like, oh, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. And they're just going about it as if they don't even like hear her. Yeah. And then they like just put her down and it's just, and it's just so awful to watch. The violence is presented, like, very plainly, but you just feel so disturbed by just the evil behind this plotting and this, all the murders that it just leaves you with such a sense, overwhelming sense of disgust. Totally. It's incredibly disturbing. And there's this, I don't know if saying I like this sequence is the right word. I didn't like it. But I think there's this sequence towards the beginning, and it shows, like, maybe ten Osage people who died, and it's like, no further investigation and then she was like another person dying and another person dying and and it feels like god like that's a lot and then that's just at the beginning and then you have that terrible scene with anna um and you see um lily gladstone who we'll get into like reacting to seeing her sister's dead body and it's just like it's gut-wrenching many parts of this movie are gut-wrenching you definitely cannot walk away thinking that any of those people were good people they were just awful awful people i i wrote a little bit about this for the media blog industries thing that you and i were both yes for the new york York semester class here Yes. yes but a big part is that of course when seeing kind of depictions of your ancestors getting brutally killed on screen that was very upsetting to the osage people yeah And there's definitely been a lot of back and forth on this movie, and I think a great, I think a great thing about this movie, and particularly how people have engaged with it, is how people have been aware that, oh yes, while this is a great, you know, way of getting the story out there, and a great way for kind of indigenous actors to really have, you know, be in like an Oscar-nominated film, it's not like the sole, it's not the sole viewpoint that we can kind of take on the story, and that we can have people kind of give their input and be like, oh, well, like, da-da-da-da. And not necessarily, like, disregard this movie nor place it on, like, a high pedestal. Mm. Because you had a lot of people who were like, hey, like, you know, these murders are really upsetting and whatnot. But then you also have other indigenous people being like, well, the murder murders actually happened. Yeah. And it's important to kind of see them to really see the stark cruelty of, like, you know, this kind of, you know white mob just like absolutely taking over everything totally i think that's a great i mean 
it's at the same time, like, my only maybe critique of this film is after watching it, I was like, I mean, it was a great movie, and this was a piece of history I had no idea existed. Like, I literally didn't even know the name of, like, Osage people. Like, I knew nothing about this. I don't even know where Oklahoma is on a map. Like, this is not in my realm of knowledge. But at the same time, it's like, wow, wouldn't this story have been so cool maybe if it was fully from Molly Burkhart's perspective? I found her, like, Ernest Burkhart, I was like, oh, my God, he's so boring. Molly is, and maybe it is Lily Gladstone's performance, it's just, like, this fascinating character. And also, like, the entire existence of the Osage that we got a little bit of their history is so interesting, too, how they have this kind of society that's partially Osage and partially, like, part of the, like, Western American world. It's it's just really interesting, and, and I do hope, and maybe it was Scorsese who said this or someone else involved in the film, like, hoping that this film will allow for more indigenous filmmakers mm-hmm. to tell this story. Um, and I really hope that happens, and I hope that Scorsese funds it and helps fund indigenous actors getting, or and filmmakers and storytellers getting to tell their own story. Um, because I think they can. There's... Can I talk about the ending? I really want yeah, to talk yeah, about the ending. Yeah, yeah, please talk about the ending. Like, oh, God. The ending, not specifically everything that happens in, you know, the context of the murders, but when we cut to the radio drama at the very oh, end. Oh, yeah, that's, that's when we, something. When we cut to the radio drama at the very end, and it's just so meta about how, you know oh, yes, the culture as a whole is making this kind of like, you know, a spectacle or kind of mm-hmm. a story that we can digest. And then, oh, I just love Martin Scorsese so much. <laughs> yeah, I am biased because really... I am Italian. <laughs> but and then Martin Scorsese himself kind of comes out and then speaks on stage and talks about kind of, you know, the lives of these, like, real people mm-hmm. and everything. He's implicating himself in kind of this, like, mm-hmm. even though he is bringing attention to it, so true. it's such a smart decision. And a really powerful one to kind of be like, yeah, like, even though we're, we are talking about this, we're still kind of making it like a piece of entertainment or, you know, we have enough distance from it. Like, yeah. the ending line being, and there was no mention of the murders, like, after everything these people yeah. went through and how it reflects how little this is talked about in history, it's just such a perfect note to end on this movie. And God, I just, I love this, <laughs> love I love it. the ending of this movie so much. No, it is, a, I didn't even really think about it in that way. It's a very smart ending. Um, and I think Scorsese has been very open to talking about his position in creating oh, yeah. this film. He um, had, he consulted a lot with indigenous yeah. people. And of course it's not, you know, there's always more work to be done. It's not going to be perfect. But I think that ending really helped seal the deal. Um yeah, and and I think in some ways it's also bringing. I mean, I've already teased it, but I think a lot of people are saying Lily Gladstone's going to get the Oscar. She should. Um, <laughs> and I just think she's really great in this movie, and I'm so glad that it's like pushed her into this like bigger conversation. Like I I want to see her in more stuff, and I think she will be. Um, she plays a character who has this like. It's actually very sad because she's so the beginning of the film such a different character to I mean she is she has diabetes and she's being she's being like poisoned like like for a long chunk of this movie (laughs) when when Robert De Niro was as you know or William King Hale was telling Ernest about the poison plan and how you know oh you know this will slow her down the moment after he said that I just remembered this guy to like two seats to my left was just like oh my god yeah like just absolutely shocked and appalled by the evilness of the situation so evil because she's such a she's i mean you have this like maybe slightly sweet love story at the beginning between the two of them although you already know the sinister undertones of it Mm -hmm. although i guess you could argue in this movie maybe argues that ernest burkhart did have love twisted love but love for her it's just the fact that ernest was a pathetic man. Yeah, he truly. And he he couldn't fully commit to doing everything like his uncle's way, but nor could he come clean, especially with, you know, the ending where yeah. Molly's like, hey, like, you know, did you actually poison me? And then he starts trying to, like, qualify it and yeah. try and shift the blame. And she, she sees right through it and then she just Oh, yeah. Him. She's whip smart. She's genius. Like, she knows... She, she gets it. Um... 
And to see a woman like that put through so much pain throughout this movie is just awful. Mm. One part of Lily Gladstone's performance that I think like stuck with me is she finds out another one of her sisters is killed in a fire. Uh, is this the bomb scene where AC yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like down there hiding because like, you know, it's scary outside. Um, and she finds out that her sisters died and she like lets out this awful, yeah, it's just like, you feel it in your bones and like, I can picture it in my head now. Like what a performance. Like that move, that like nearly moved me to tears when I watched it in the theater. And again, you just really see how, uh, like, no, having that scene of, I'm just double checking his name, of William King Hale watching like footage of the Tulsa race massacres and then ultimately being inspired by that to go out and kind of enact this plan of, oh, hey, we're going to blow up the, you know, the house of Retta, Retta and Bill. It's just... No, it's just, like, these themes of how, like, racial violence kind of transcends, like, no matter if it's against a specific type of minority, the fact is, is that those methods and those, you know, that very same violence can be used interchangeably between groups. Yeah, that was painful to look at that, seeing the Tulsa massacre and tying it to this, you just felt that dread, like... Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. And I think this movie does such a great job, you know, despite it being long, you know, and I will say I'm not a long movie lover. Like, I love a 90-minute movie. I drink and eat a lot. Like, I want to go get up, use the bathroom, etc. But this, like, it, I didn't feel, find it as confusing as Oppenheimer, <laughs> which was long. This was, like, I don't think it was a hard-to-follow movie. This is told in a much more conventional yeah, it's a little, yeah, it's in a terms of timeline. Conventional. Um, and it kept my attention the whole time, and I think the pacing was, I mean, maybe there could be some arguments against it, but I think the pacing was very smart, and I think it worked really well, and it built tension so well, and, I mean, okay, any thoughts about that before I... No, I pretty much agree with you. Um, Yay! I did like the length of it. I do think, however... If I have to be honest, oh, please. I do think that at certain points I was thinking, yeah, this definitely feels like a three and a half hour long. Yeah. Movie. Oh, for sure. There are times when I'm like, this is a little long. We could cut it down. But I'm like, actually, we don't have to. I paused the movie. I, I watched it at home. At, not at the at home. I watched it at, in my dorm room bed with like people coming in and out. Um, like I paused it at times and I was like, and that's OK. You know, I'm, st- I'm still following the movie. It's totally fine. Um I think it's a story that deserves the time and more. Like, it deserves even more time spent on it. Um, one thing that I think built that pacing and tension so well is the score. I loved the score. Yeah. It was just, yeah, that was great. It was, because it was kind of using the, like, the Osage, some of those musical, like, instruments and sounds. And, oh, yeah, I thought it was so cool. <laughs> and then, kind of a bit of a sad fact, but mm. uh, the score composer Robert Robertson Robbie Robertson he worked with Scorsese for like over the course of like multiple of his films and he died like two months before this film like released kind of had a worldwide release oh no so yeah so this film was kind of dedicated to to him oh I didn't even know that well that's great that it was dedicated and it's also just I mean, I hate to say it's not surprising because uh, Scorsese is old, so I'm assuming people that are his collaborators are, you know, relatively it's, old. Don't, just don't remind me that Scorsese. <laughs> I'm sorry. And every, and every like, kind of media okay. hero that I grew up with is, like, getting old and dying. <laughs> yeah, but what a legacy. So. True. <laughs> well, speaking of legacy and score and sound music, I feel like we can... <laughs> look at that little... Segway. Segway. We can talk about a movie that I don't know how to pronounce. Is it Maestro or is it Maestro? I'm pretty sure it's Maestro. Okay, then we'll go with Maestro if it's wrong. Um, that I don't really care too, <laughs> too much. So this movie came out uh, 2023 as well. And this plot description already I have beef with because I'm like, is this true? But it, it, just listen to this. This love story chronicles the lifelong, <laughs> the love story part already, like, come on now. Um, this love story chronicles the lifelong relationship of conductor composer Leonard Bernstein and actress Felicia Montelag, oh crap, Montelagre. Yeah, Mont- Montelagre. Montelagre Cone 
Bernstein. This was, this is a name you're going to hear pop up a couple times. This was directed by Bradley Cooper. This was written <laughs> by Bradley Cooper and this, Josh. <laughs> this was produced <laughs> by, by Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> um, this was starring Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. <laughs> this is not being facetious. Like it really, like he straight up did that. It was also written by Josh Singer, another producer, two other producers, Martin Scorsese. Damn, <laughs> I was saving that for the when we compare. <laughs> yeah, these we'll films. we'll talk about that and Steven Spielberg. Um, so it is starring. I'm going to say this name first, Carrie Mulligan as Felicia. Um, I cannot say this last name, so it's going to be Felicia Bernstein, I guess. And Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> um, and there's a bunch of other actors also in this. This has a lot, uh, a relatively large cast. Some notable people that I found notable is Matt Bomer, mm-hmm. Bomer as David Oppenheim. Is that really his last name? I'm looking at it That right is the now. last name I found. I was like, not... Oppenheim, but it's not Oppenheimer. It's just Oppenheim. Um, I like Matt um, Bomer. Sarah Silverman is someone who's in this. Um, yeah. She plays uh, Leonard's sister. Yeah. Shirley um, Bernstein. And then for us, like, Broadway girlies, I don't know if, like, the general public knows who this is, but Gideon Glick is in this um, for Spring Awakening fans. He plays um, one of... Leonard Bernstein's lovers. Tommy. Yeah. I have some thoughts about him and Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just, you know, for the Broadway girls who know who Gideon Glick is, I'm just happy to see him employed. Um, so and then Maya Hawk, too. Oh, how could I forget? And actually, I did like her in the film. Like, Maya Hawk plays um, the daughter of... Uh, Jamie. Yeah, of Leonard Bernstein just and midway, Felicia. Yeah, just midway through this movie, I'm like, oh, that's like his old... Older daughter. Holy crap, it's Maya Hawk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I completely forgot that that was... There was so much that happened in this movie, um, and so much that didn't happen. So, <laughs> I think if you're getting by the tone, I didn't like this movie. I'll just start off by saying that. I didn't... It's not that I, like, hated it. It's not the worst movie I've ever I've ever watched, but I didn't love this movie. Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts? You're fr- if you loved it, cool. As much as I would love to have, like, an episode where we have, like, just... <laughs> vastly different opinions on the movies we're talking about and just like back and forth and just the debate like oh fuck you ah. it's unfortunately i do think i have to agree with you however i just think this was very middle of the road oscar bait yeah a lot yeah i guess a major conversation with this movie is the oscar bait of it all Mm -hmm. because um you heard bradley cooper's name like 25 times um he wants that oscar (laughs) he wants an oscar um is what many people are arguing, and I really don't see in this... I mean, there's so many great performances from 2023, I do not see how my man's going to get an Oscar. (laughs) Okay, I think we'll start with Bradley Cooper first. Yeah. It's just the fact, his performance, I found it to be a little inconsistent. Like, I got the general tone of what he was trying to convey by embodying Leonard Bernstein, I got that he was a little eccentric, he was a little unfocused, I got all of that. His voice, like, his inflections, I felt like I was going crazy throughout the film, because sometimes I would listen to him and be like, oh, that's Bradley Cooper, and then other times I'd think, okay, that's, like, Leonard Bernstein, and then other times I'd think, oh, wait, is that a hint of Oscar Isaac in there? And then other times I'd be like, wait, is he just doing an Archer impression? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the voice was something the prosthetic nose which was a major talking point so he he didn't even need it he didn't need it he already looked fine and looked like leonard bernstein but to really be in character bradley cooper felt he needed this prosthetic nose to play bernstein who is jewish yeah um and and i don't know if you know ladies (laughs) and gentlemen but there is a certain um stereotype about Jewish people in their noses. Yeah, it's just kind of like, was that necessary? It just felt, in watching the movie, unnecessary. Not to mention, many people felt it added this, like, nasaliness to his speaking, Mm -hmm. because he has a prosthetic nose on, which affects how you sound, um, which may have affected some of his strange acting choices. Yeah. Rather than helped get... I think there were other ways to get into character, like listen to some music. I don't... Like, you don't need a prosthetic nose. In general, I'm just not a fan of, like, things like that. Prosthetic nose, like, added fake bellies, all that stuff Mm -hmm. I don't really like. But, yeah, Bradley Cooper... 
I guess my issue with his performance, and maybe this also relates to his directing and writing of it, is I don't feel like I understood Leonard Bernstein from watching his performance. I was like, I understand that you are playing Leonard Bernstein, but I don't understand who Leonard Bernstein is, who, I mean, is a musical genius. And I'm like, I didn't get any of that. The only time you really get a sense of that is during the kind of first act of this movie, where he gets the call of, hey... Composer's sick, and then the other guy's, like, stuck in traffic. Can you, you know, substitute? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, this is how he gets his start. And I was expecting the narrative to kind of intertwine, like, the marriage and also his life as a composer a bit more. Don't get me wrong. It still does that, but it does it in, like, a way that it focuses a lot on his sexuality. And I just got to say, like, Leonard, you go from frickin' Matt Bromer, who is, like, you know attractive guy he looks very handsome to freaking tommy who (laughs) has like who has hair that i usually have where it's just like unkempt it just is going i mean it's very 70s getting glicks it's 70s but it's like awful 70s yeah i don't think it's enough to like throw away your really hot cool wife even though (laughs) you're not interested in her i'm like i don't know she's like cool enough that like just kind (laughs) of i don't know get over it but yeah i don't know why he wasn't with matt bomber anymore because i would i that was a poor choice well it was the whole thing where david eventually also settled down and find found a wife and then of course it's like well you're taken and everything so i guess i'll just go hit on students for the rest of my (laughs) life yeah which is also there's this like problematic element that's not even really talked about i mean musicians and dating like people younger than them or underage like that's just been like that's just the staple of being a musician unfortunately well, yeah everybody go watch tar a movie <laughs> from 2022 already basically i think did ask but i didn't even like tar that much but did some of this better than that did kate blanchett i think did it a cast, better job <laughs> it casted a bit more of a critical eye yeah kind of these personalities i think this was there's so there's at the end there's like a very long it's like one of the few times where we really focus on the music aspect of it, which is what I wanted highlighted more. Mm-hmm. Um, Bradley Cooper trained for six years or something to conduct this piece of music that Leonard Bernstein conducted in this like chapel place. Um, and I think it's supposed to be like this triumphant filmmaking moment. Like, wow. But I'm like, honestly, I'd rather just watch like a video of Leonard Bernstein doing that than... <laughs> like, well, if you wanted that, you could always stick around for the credits, because there's... I yeah, think, they, yeah. yeah, they show it. I, I just overall felt like, why would I watch this over, like, a documentary about Leonard Bernstein with, like, existing footage? It, yeah, it's just the fact that... Oh, again, I definitely think the narrative twi- trying to intertwine kind of, you know, how his conducting life, but then also really focus on his home and life and marriage... I just feel like it makes for a very disjointed narrative that ultimately has the viewer walk away from the movie feeling like, well, I don't really know these characters as if they're, like, actual people that I, like, spent time with around. Like, with Oppenheimer, it's like, I got a clear sense of everyone in that film. It's like, okay, I know their personalities. I know why they did the things that they did. With this one, it's like, you kind of get, like, the fact that his sexuality was always going to be a thing. Yeah. It's that conversation where they're lying on the floor and talking about, like, fate and luck and how... um, When him and his wife are are lying on the floor. Yeah, where Carey Mulligan is just kind of talking about, debating with him about, oh, the likelihood that he would have actually gone his start, like, eventually had not that fateful day happen. And she's like, oh, well, like, it was always going to happen, but, like, you know, it just would have been, like, further down the line. And it's like, I think, I think, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's the film's thesis for kind of Mm -hmm. his whole sexuality, how, you know, if people weren't aware of it like then, or if his wife wasn't aware of it then, it ultimately would have come out like one way or another. And you still kind of see him like, you know, like doing it even after his wife's passing, kind of showing how it was a constant part of his identity and everything. But even then, it just kind of feels like I'm reaching at straws just because so much of the film just kind of feels like just again and again. Yeah. Like, it it shows kind of the same th- scenes. He kisses a man. His wife gets a little upset. <laughs> yeah. And then it cuts to the next scene. And they've both kind of, like, moved on from it. Can I say I am so bored, like, narrative-wise? Like, 
if I have to watch, like, one more movie where, like, a straight woman marries, like, a gay man and then is, like... I think he's bisexual. <laughs> okay, bisexual. Well, I, I don't know that the movie really argued that. He didn't seem interested in women at all. But maybe Leonard was. Who knows? The movie doesn't really really talk about anything i don't know but. it seemed like he was bisexual with like a strong preference towards men um perhaps at least but again viewers the film the, the film doesn't really ex- want you to take anything away so i didn't take that away i'm just like so bored with like the straight wife who's like oh my husband's with, with men like i'm so i feel like i've seen that in like five thousand movies at this point and I actually think, and, and we didn't talk about this film in advance, but I, it's another perspective thing where I think I find the perspective coming from Carrie Mulligan's character way more interesting in this movie setting. Because I actually think Leonard Bernstein's very interesting and I'd love to watch a good movie about him. But I think her perspective is like way more interesting than him just like, everything he does in this movie, I'm bored. Like I truly don't care. Which is sad because he's an important person. But I care way more about Felicia. She's clearly more interesting. Yeah. I think it's quite a blow to Bradley Cooper's character (laughs) and the fact that he spent probably millions and millions and years and years on this project only for Carrie Mulligan to just absolutely blow him out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, easily. Like, she plays this... uh, Well, she has quite an arc because also... Um, she's an actress. Um, she marries him, and obviously there's struggles in their marriage. Um, she then gets cancer, um, and then she dies. So <laughs> it's not funny. But her life is just like actually her life overall was kind of a flop, like <laughs> just like start to finish. But Carrie Mulligan plays the character, I think, which could be kind of like a typical like kind of just like sad flopping woman story I think she plays the character in a really interesting and smart way one second I'm I'm gathering my thoughts for the most part during watching this movie I was kind of bored I was like okay like I got it okay he's kissing men again she's (laughs) upset family life kind of somewhat back to normal but they're not talking about it kisses men again Um, she's upset by it they talk about it this time, and then Snoopy crosses by the window. <laughs> I love... That was the one time I was up, I was awake, I was like, I love Snoopy! The thing is, and this is my quick little tangent, is that Netflix is just horrible with their special effects. Carnegie Hall, when you first see it in that sort of, like, you know, free-flowing shot, I'm looking at him like, is this a cartoon? It looks so, like, cheap and fake, and it just adds another kind of layer of in- inauthenticity to the whole mm. thing. And so, of course, I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. Maya Hawk is asking if, if, if her dad is gay. He says no, and that's actually kind of a, that's a, that's a nice moment. But then everything yeah. else is kind of like, okay, well, whatever. And then we get to the scene where they're in the doctor's office, and then you don't see, like, the doctor's face when doing this. His back is, like, to the camera. But he's just explaining the situation to them about, okay, you have breast cancer, and we have to, like, cut it out, biopsy, all that stuff. And it's just really focusing on their reactions. And it's such a powerful scene because Carrie Mulligan really just gives it her all. And of course, like Bradley Cooper's there, but like Carrie yeah. Mulligan is just like really making you feel for like, oh my God, this like poor woman. And then like everything after that just really cements the film as her own where she's struggling with this new stage in her life. And even when she has like friends over, she feels like so embarrassed and just like so you know, confined by what this illness has given her, that she, like, breaks down, like, not even when they're out the door, just being like, I don't want visitors again, I don't want visitors again, and it's just so heartbreaking to see, like, this woman absolutely, like, deteriorate in front of our eyes after she's been such, like, a pillar for both the audience and for, you know, Leonard himself, and to just really see that, like, that part of the movie, if, like, somehow, if I could get all the context of, like, the first, like, three-thirds, three, three-fourths, three-fourths, I can't do fractions, hence why I'm an English major. Yeah. If I could get, like, all the context of, like, the first three-fourths th- of this movie, and then I just kind of saw the last fourth of this where it was dealing with her cancer and everything, I would have walked away with this being much more engaged by it as a whole. Yeah, I think it is more engaging. And correct me if I'm wrong, because it's actually been a while since I watched it. It ends 
with Carrie Mulligan yes. like that. So I, I it don't ends th- with her facing the camera yeah. and then kind of like turning away, and then yeah. the title card appears, and then we cut to black, and then we get the footage. Yeah. Of him so conducting. I don't think it's I don't think Bradley Cooper's completely unaware that in some ways the movie is about her character as much as it is about. His character. I mean, you could even argue she's the overall. Maestro. Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna make a language joke, if this was really about her, it'd be called maestra because maestro yeah. is a Spanish term and yes, you know, the O. Um, o is masculine, A is feminine. Yeah, I mean, she is the center of this movie, and I don't think I, I think Bradley Cooper understands that. I think he also hopes that <laughs> he is too, but he's just not. And I don't even. A lot of people online seem to like hate Bradley Cooper. I do not hate Bradley well, Cooper. He also slightly scabbed during the oh. actor strike. Oh, I didn't know this. Um, okay, he, now I hate him. He dressed up as Rocket Raccoon because Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. three released and everything. And SAG after is like, hey, if you're gonna do something for Halloween, do like a, you know, do like a basic, like general character, yes. like a ghost or whatnot. Don't be like dressing up as characters that you've performed as or, yeah. you know, specific characters from specific movies. And of course, he kind of went and did that. Yeah, well, what's going on in this man's brain? Like, actually, can we get a Bradley Cooper biopic? <laughs> because I'm like, what is, like, what is up in your brain? And also, unfortunately for him, I just don't see in this year of, you know, a lot of people don't like biopics, but, like... We got Kill- Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy, like, I just don't see how he's not going to win. We got <laughs> Killian Murphy. We got Ryan Gosling. Well, and I guess we have Bradley Cooper. Yeah, it's just, like, he's not even, like, remotely the most remarkable performance I've watched in years. Like, it's just, like, a performance that happens. And, I mean, I don't want to harp too much on, like, oh... I-, I think there were things to this movie that I liked. I mean, it was just another thing, like... I, you know, I'm a musical theater person, and I wanted to hear so much more of the music and the creation of... I, I mean, I think... I was just more interested in, like, the music part of it, and I don't think I got that. Yeah. So, And in even, like, the score of this movie, they they do play some of Leonard's songs, but it's like I, want, I just wanted more. I think it's such interesting music. Like, how did this happen? Who knows? <laughs> not, not this movie. It doesn't know anything. Like, you could make the argument that a lot of that this movie tries to imply that a lot of Leonard's music was kind of from his muses mm. because I can't remember the ex- specific piece, but he's like, oh, I just finished like, uh, it's like a religious term. I can't remember it. I'm so sorry, viewers, but he's just like, oh, I just finished like this piece and everything. And he finishes it, finishes it right after he gets back home with Tommy, who, you know, Felicia knows that they've been kind of involved and kind of to hide her distress at everything, she kind of runs, jumps into the pool, kind of performs a bit of a Skylar White from Breaking Bad. And that's what I feel like the film was trying to convey, where, you know, even she, like early in the film, when they're having that dinner table conversation with, like, some of his family members, and she's like, oh, let's see, like, what they want you to give up. And that kind of spurs him to really kind of, like, go in on his own path because you know she's like hey like let's support you like let's not do what you know your family's telling you to do but again at the same time i just feel like the narrative of this doesn't fully lean into that or it's just like so surface level to a point where it just kind of feels like you know i'm i really have to like read into it and i don't think that's the movie that they wanted it to Mm -hmm. be where it's like something that you really have to sort of gleam into it like you know i do get it like it's much more of a low-key film and i'm not asking you know for bradley cooper to turn to the camera and be like i was able to finish this piece because you know i'm dating one of my students and they inspire me to do music and whatnot i'm not asking for that i just feel like a little more cohesion between Mm -hmm. the narratives a more fine cohesion, I should say. I just felt like the execution of this film and how it's trying to grapple these two narratives simultaneously just wasn't the best. Yeah, I agree. So if you really love this movie, why? Please, <laughs> t- like, what? Explain why you... No, I, I'm sh- Maybe... I don't know a single person who I've, like, read a review where someone was like, I love this movie. But maybe somebody does. And if you're listening... Like I, I that, actually that would like to know. Like, that sounds like a straw man argument. <laughs> Guy who thinks Maestro is gonna win the Oscar. Yeah, I, I mean, if it does, like maybe I, I'll go do something. I'll like jump out of an airplane if Bradley Cooper wins Best Actor. Um, 
Here, stay tuned for a very exciting podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, coming like, late March. I would literally do it if, if that happened, but I just, it's not going to, so I'm not worried. No, Kelly Murphy is going to get the Oscar, yeah. and then Lily Gladstone is going to get the Oscar. For yeah, the that's, that's what I'm hoping, although a lot of people are talking about, you know, Emma Stone might Here's get the it, thing. or Here's Sandra the thing. Hewler. Here's the thing. Emma Stone is getting, like, every other yeah, she's award quite a bit. that isn't the Oscar. And then Lily Gladstone is going to get the Oscar. Yeah, that's what I think, too, and, and I hope so. I mean, I enjoyed all of the Best Actress performances. Can't say I enjoyed all of the Best <laughs> Leading Actor performances. But, okay, so let's... There, We just talked... Yeah, that movie... Okay, <laughs> bye. And now, we're moving away from this movie only to come back to it. Exactly, we're kind of actually coming back. So now we're going to talk about these two movies together. What a terrible double feature. You'd be watching movies for like five hours. Don't watch these movies one after the other. Um... Also, Killers of the Flower Moon, I think you really need to digest the movie after. You, you need to kind of just sit with it for a little bit, yeah. like at least a day or so. For sure. So what is, when putting these two movies in conversation, was there some idea you already had? Please, please share. Well, they're both historical dramas. Yeah! They're both produced by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I mean, they're basically the same movie. And I definitely think that... If we really want to dive into kind of the gender topic and everything again, yeah. it's definitely kind of stories about, you know, men and their wives and how the dynamic between them affects kind of their work and their relationship. It's a lot more of a malicious and damning scenario in terms of Killers of the Flower Moon, where, you know, you have Ernest and he's kind of caught between two worlds and he doesn't really have the backbone to really commit to one of either of them. He's not evil enough to kind of really go in with his uncle's plan. He's not good enough to kind of alert the Osage about what's actually going on. Which, in kind of, if you really want to subscribe to certain ways of thinking, kind of makes him even more evil, because he's just sort of this moderate who's just not... He's just this moderate who has, like, no backbone and is just kind of, like, going along with kind of whatever whim is apparent to him. Um... In terms of what else? Well, I think that it's definitely both of these movies are about husbands and their wives. And hus- I mean, I'm like, let's put these two women together in a room and talk about how their husbands just kind of flopped for both of them. And also, I mean, we see both of these women go through terrible health issues. Now, one is poisoned. Is, is poisoned, is like exacerbated by her husband. She does actually have diabetes, so it's not like she, she does have actual health issues. But it is not helped by her husband. The other one has cancer. Um, but we see both of these characters disintegrate, like, be vibrant human beings and through time, like, lose all of that. Fortunately, Molly Burkhart... She gains her physical health <laughs> Yeah, back she gains that back. I don't know that her mental health um, will ever recover from that level of trauma, but Carrie Mulligan's character just dies. Um, you, you you set up these <laughs> things perfectly as a joke. I'm sorry. I, I don't take anything seriously. I told you, like, these are serious topics, but I don't really take anything seriously, unfortunately. So, <laughs> well, she does just, like, die, and you're like, okay. Like, at that point, I was like, I'm done watching the movie. Like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, she, she dies pretty much, like, during the scene where it's, like, she's lying on the bed and Bradley Cooper's, like, lying next to her. And then, like, yeah. you see, like, the light kind of slowly fading out yeah. and it's getting darker and darker. And it's like, okay, Bradley Cooper, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, very much that. Well, I, I guess the big difference is you have, which is almost not even fair to Bradley Cooper, you have a director like Martin Scorsese versus a director like Bradley Cooper. And I don't think Bradley Cooper's a bad director. I like to star is born. It's just very serviceable. Yeah. And it's <laughs> lacking a lot of finesse and style that Martin Scorsese is just, like, imbued with. Yeah, there's so much, like, style there. And there is an attempt at style in Bradley Cooper's direction, or not an attempt. I just, like, was a little bored by a lot of the choices. I mean, there's this whole, like, black and white section where everything's, like, whimsical, and then it's, like, in color, and it's, like... It's just kind of, like, okay. Like, that scene of her dying, it's, like, we get it, like... I see what you're doing as a director, and it's just not interesting to me, personally. Mm-hmm. Whereas everything in Killers of the Flower Moon, I thought was really interest- an interesting choice. Whether all of them worked, I don't know, but I thought, you know, that radio played to contextualize the whole movie. Like, what a great, smart idea. And, like, <laughs> I, I just, it's one thing to see someone be so smart, and another thing to see someone be so... Just whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... 
what else? What else did I want to talk about, like, within the content of these two movies? It's, I definitely think Killers of the Flower Moon also gives a lot more of its greater historical narrative, much more focus and importance. And as a result, not only does it heighten the themes in the movie where, yes, this huge thing was going on and people were getting, like, targeted and murdered and no one was really doing a damn thing about it until, like, Lily Gladstone, you know, went off to Washington, D.C. It was like, hey, like, everyone in my, you know, community is dying. Please help us out. It's like, you really get that. You get the evil on a much more intimate scale where it's like, okay, how could, like, you know, a husband do this to his wife? And then you get it on a larger scale, you know. The rot runs deep. Like, I'm thinking of the character who, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy in No Country for Old Men. He's, like, the cashier that Javier Badem runs into and it's like, oh, like, the coin tossing. Do you remember that at all? Do you even know what film I'm talking about? I was like, I've never seen that movie. You're not speaking my language. But essentially, the point I'm trying to make is that character, he's like, he's kind of in charge of distributing the inheritances at certain times Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And then there's a Ku Klux Klan in in Oklahoma, and you see that he's part of the Klan and everything. And then you see how he's on the court when discussing this case at the very end of the film. And then you see him with, you know, the whole posse of, like, people who have been orchestrating this thing. And even, like, that just one character shows, like, how much kind of the rot runs Mm. deep here. And it's like, okay, and you really get, and you really get how this plays into the kind of bloodshedding, bloodthirsty history of America as a whole. Meanwhile, with Maestro, again, it's like I didn't really have a clear understanding of who Leonard Bernstein was going into this film. And after I watched this film, and it was, like, midnight or so, I was still like, okay, I, like, he's vaguely relatable. I, too, can kind of scream into a pillow when I get very frustrated. (laughs) I, too, kind of act like a little eccentric, but, like, I don't know him as a character. I don't really feel like I completely grasp what made him so special in the context of America during that time period, what made him kind of so, you know what he had to go through in, like, his marriage. Like, hmm. you do get bits and pieces pieces of that where I feel like the film's getting there. Like, that conversation with Jamie, and she asked, like, kind of inadvertently, like, hey, Dad, like, are you gay? And he has to, like, lie. And then, of course, kind of the truth comes out anyway. Yeah. Again, kind of relating to what I think the thesis of that film is. Uh-huh. But again, it's just kind of like... It's trying to juggle these two things, but it's not doing them super well. And as a result, instead of the narratives kind of enriching one another, kind of just feels like I'm looking at, like, two separate... It's it's like someone made a film. It's like someone made a film about the marriage of Leonard Bernstein. And then someone else made a film about, like, Leonard Bernstein, the composer. And then someone was like, oh, I really like these two films. I'm going to make, like, a super cut of them. Yeah. And then just try to, like, tie them together. And it's like, it kind of works, but it doesn't work as well as it should. Yeah, that is that is very true. And I think it also, Killers of the Flower Moon, shows that you can have multiple, there's a different layers of things going on. And as you said, like, every character that's introduced is, you know, helping the overall plot, helping you think about the, like, larger scheme of everything that's going on. Um, it's just a lot more masterful than... My maestro, um, unfortunately, for that. I also think, like, Killers of the Flower Moon... I mean, everyone always says, like, specificity makes things, like, more... Like, the more specific you are, the more general and, like, relatable it is. By looking at, like, this... I mean, which also, it is just a true story, so it's, like, this isn't made up. But yeah. by, but by looking at this, like, husband and wife and on that, like quote-unquote smaller scale you are thinking about everything on a bigger scale (laughs) and maestro i mean i guess it's nothing feels quite as specific as maybe it should and maybe that's why i mean you said like it's just not i didn't walk away relating to any character not that you need to relate yeah killers of the flower moon also has this larger thing which i guess i've never seen any other scorsese films (gasps) i'm sorry i'm sorry um (laughs) but there's this larger thing about like evil people and like there's this I know and that's part of his work about people their morals and you know greed greed and all those things and yeah and that is just like I mean that's human nature and so that's interesting to watch because it's just like a part of being human things like greed and violence and and just all the awful parts of it 
are also relatable and we see that still today i mean i also thought it was so kind of like the why this movie now thing um killers of the flower moon i mean indigenous women are still especially indigenous women are dying and missing at like insane rates Mm -hmm. and so when you see like that scene that i talked about earlier where it's like all these indigenous people dying nothing being done it's like well that's happening now and to see like the threads of that history is really cool yeah maestro i don't know why this movie came out now i don't know i think like okay like it it doesn't like what does this have to do with anything like what does this connect to at all and i think it could connect to a lot of things but i don't think it does Or, or, or it didn't for me i didn't find any connection to me to now to anything it's just like a movie i watched yeah with killers of the flower moon you could definitely look at the you could look at the movie kind of see like you know this kind of genocide being committed against a certain people and then you can easily like apply to so many instances today like palestine congo sudan but with maestro it's like eh? it's like i don't know if it's just because i'm not like you know, I'm not, like, queer or anything like that, but it's just, like, I'm trying to, like, find some way to really kind of see, oh, how, like, can I connect to this character that he's trying to portray? And just, like, you know, in kind of the general moments, like, yeah, I'll, like, sometimes, like, really, like, hype myself up and really try and be the life of the party or whatnot. I'll, I'll talk a lot. I'll make a lot of jokes, but, like, Again, there was nothing, like, fundamental about, like, his portrayal of Leonard Bernstein that was like, oh, my God, like, I relate to that. I know how that feels. Yeah, you don't understand him as a character. And and maybe that's why Carrie Mulligan's so much more successful. I feel like you do understand this human being. Like, you see a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, So You just don't see someone trying to desperately win an Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. It feels very desperate, whereas Lily Gladstone doesn't feel desperate, and I think she shall win. Um, let it be so. The the more we dunk on Bradley Cooper, the more I think about, like, the Tina Fey comments that she made recently. That authenticity is dangerous and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that is my mantra. I'm getting it tattooed. We're, we're going we're gonna to actually go into Hollywood, and then someone's going to find this podcast. Oh, my God. Bradley Cooper's going to, like... And Bradley Cooper, I love us. you. I, I I love you so much. I really do like A Star is Born. <laughs> I loved you as Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> yeah, I've only watched the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but I actually heard that he was really good in the third Guardians of the Galaxy as Rocket Raccoon. He, I actually heard it was a good performance. He was, but it also so, helps that the film is very much kind of Rocket story. Oh, cool. I, I will have to watch it because I like the first one, and maybe I did see the second one as well, but I'm just not really a Marvel person. I don't think anyone is at this point anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's uh, a great topic for another hey, day. Hey, we talked about Marvel and Scorsese. There you go. I so, love it. Yeah, just following trends <laughs> that the internet has been talking about for the past five years. Yes. So that was that was an episode. That was we talked for about an hour about these two things. Um, and as always, like it's not enough time. There's so much more to say about. There's so many more facets of these movies. Yeah, actually, there's nothing more to say about Maestro. (laughs) But (laughs) there's a lot more to say about Killers of the Flower Moon. So if you haven't seen either of these movies, please go see Killers of the Flower Moon. It is on... I watched on Apple TV, which I have... I have, like, every streaming service, so... I don't. Um, so that's how I, I watched it. I um, have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have HBO Max, and... I mean, that's and still quite a bit. If my, fam- if my family didn't, like, consistently use those more than I do, I would heavily consider just ending my subscription. That's fair. Well, if you have Apple TV, um, you should watch it. If not, I'm sure there's other ways to watch Killers of the Flower Moon. If you have Netflix, then you can watch Maestro. I I think most people can access that. But we're coming to a close, so the last little segment is what movie you're crushing on. Do you have any thoughts, or or do you need a second? Because I can go first. I already know. Uh, You can go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to say two, which is cheating. But um, one movie that I watched, I saw it last week on Valentine's Day. I went to AMC all by myself, and I watched Lisa Frankenstein. Oh, I've been meaning to see that. I loved it so good. For those of you unaware viewers, um, this is the kind of the same team who did Jennifer's Body, yes, the 2009 cult classic. Yeah, this is going to be a cult classic. I thought it was funny. I thought, I think her name is Catherine Newton, playing yeah. Lisa Frankenstein. It just, it was a great movie. And yeah, another movie I watched, um, 
I watched. <laughs> this is like embarrassing. I but I really. I literally <laughs> talked about like yeah, I love watching the saw films. I love watching yeah, okay, people get disemboweled. Okay, but saw films are cool. This is like actually corny. I watched M- Mascarpone, which is a Italian film featuring this actor that I've loved for a long time, Giancarlo. I love you. If you're listening to this podcast, which I know you're not, I've loved you since Scum Italia. Um. And it is, it is like this cheesy, cheesy, cheesy rom-com. But then it gets actually really sad at the end. So maybe it's not a rom-com. But yeah, he has like a husband. And then like his husband's like, actually, I don't want to be with you anymore. So he has to find himself. It's kind of like a coming of age. Like the tone. A lot of husband problems during this Husbands episode. are just bad, basically. And that's what I enjoyed about the movie. But I don't know if I absorbed any of the movie. I just enjoyed watching an actor that I adore for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> I think the only Italian movies I've seen recently would be like another not another horror story. Oh. Or something Italian? but and like Baby which is like a TV series. But oh. those were like a while ago. Those were like 2021, 2022. Okay. Yeah, I I am Italian. You said you're Italian. I'm Italian too. I'm basically half Italian and I am also indigenous, but I won't get I won't get into that because that's not I don't really identify we're not, we're that. We're not going to we're not going to take like a What's it called? Like genetics? Well, my dad's part of the Narragansett tribe. Like, you know, like legit stuff. I did not know that, but like, what's the ancestry? ancestry? Yes, we're not going to take like an ancestry test right now. (laughs) No, we don't. I mean, we all probably have indigenous ancestry because, you know, um, the history of violence and rape. Yeah. Um, But I I, I do have maybe a more legitimate tie, but I don't really identify in that way. It's not part of my life. But I am Italian. I love. That for me, so I should watch more Martin Scorsese films, and everyone should watch Lisa Frankenstein. It is not related to Italy at all, but <laughs> it is just so fun. And Cole Sprouse is in it, which I was like, this is ruining the vibe, but actually, he's very good in it. I mean, some actors are just gonna have to be pretentious. Yeah, like he he annoys me as I was in love with them as a kid because I loved the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I loved, I hated. Zach, I loved Cody, and now I'm like Dylan Sprouse is so much better than Cole Sprouse. Um, but Cole Sprouse, if you're listening, I apologize. You were very good in this movie. He was drafted into Riverdale for like seven years. You yeah, cut him some slack. Yeah, very true. But now I've gone on for 12 minutes. So what what movie are you crushing on? Um, with a five course semester, I've not had a lot of time to watch stuff. Wow. Um, the the only things I've really been able to watch were Maestro in preparation for this, <laughs> and oh. also in my sci-fi class we watched the 1950s rendition of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <gasps> what is that? Tell me about it. It is about <laughs> the invasion of, of the body, body snatchers. snatchers. Okay. Um, Doctor Miles he comes back to his town oh, and then people town. are like, hey, um, yeah, my husband, my wife isn't acting like they normally do, and he's like, yeah, it's just probably like a fluke. And then more and more he gets this complaint and then he realizes that there's something going on with these pods replicating human bodies and then it becomes this whole kind of question of, okay, who can I trust? A lot of people consider it to be an allegory for McCarthyism, for anti-communist behaviors and whatnot. Um, even though the filmmakers themselves said that, oh, we actually had, like, no political intention when, like, making this movie, but, like, all art has, like, an inherent political bias, yeah. whether consciously mm. or unconsciously. But that's been, like, the only thing, like... That's fine. I think yeah. that sounds really interesting. Another thing about husband and wives. I mean, you could... Husband and wives are probably in most, like, well, he's, forms of media. he's divorced in that uh, movie, and that's kind of, like, a thing with, like, his... An old flame, but, like... Oh, okay. Now, in terms of... Hopefully, the next time, if I'm ever on this podcast again, dear viewers, listeners, Listen. wink, wink, um, I'm hoping to see Mary Frankenstein, or is it Lisa? Lisa, Lisa. Lisa Frankenstein. Yeah, I think you'll be crushing on it, because it's a great movie. I'm hoping to see Lisa Frankenstein, and I'm also really hoping to see Dune Part 2. Ah, okay, so that's coming up. Because nothing else has been released of merit. Like, maybe, oh. maybe I might want to go... Maybe I might want to go see Madam Web, but only just, I'm dying to see Madam Web. Only just for kind of like the sheer, sheer comedic aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, I really want to see. Every day I feel like actually I need to go see Madam Web, um, but I'm not going to. Today I'm going to watch Anatomy of a Fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to watch that. Maybe we'll talk about it sometime on the podcast. Wink, um, wink. But this has been 
an episode. We talked about a lot of different movies, actually, and a lot of different things. So if you have any thoughts, you know, nobody has really shared any <laughs> thoughts about any of these movies with me, but you can because we have an Instagram at Motion Picture Match. We do actually have an email at Motion Picture Match. No, no, no. Motion Picture Matchmaker at gmail.com. So there are ways to contact me. And if you're listening, you probably know me personally. So. And if you're listening <laughs> to me, you probably also know me personally. So you could just like text me. I would love to hear people validate me. And I, <laughs> or I guess you could invalidate me. That's totally fine. I mean, too. at least you're being honest. I love validation. Um, with all that said, Lorenzo, thank you so much for coming on today. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to come on here and talk about movies. And Yay. hopefully I'll get to do it again. Yes. Wink, wink, wink. Next week, unless I'm lying, we'll be talking about past lives and all of us strangers. I cannot wait. Spoiler, I love those movies. So <laughs> I'm very excited. Hopefully that's next week unless plans change. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. And see you next time. Or you'll hear me and I won't see you. Adios. Adios. Hello.